Let us pray. Almighty God, look with loving mercy on your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed, to be given over to the hands of sinners, and to suffer death on the cross, who now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. The first lesson is from Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. See, my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. Just as there were many who were astonished at him, so marred was his appearance beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of mortals. So he shall startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which had not been told them, they shall see. And that which they had not heard, they shall contemplate. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of a dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted them stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future, for he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot with him a portion with the great, 
and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. So amazing, so amazing. 
Before we hear the passion according to John's gospel, it is important to clarify John's language concerning the Jews. This phrase that occurs more than 60 times in John has contributed to anti-Semitic violence throughout Christian history. So it's important to note before our reading that this phrase, the Jews, refers not to the Jewish people as a whole, but to the religious authorities of John's day. Too often, John's portrayal is an unfair caricature that comes not from Jesus, but from John's frustration with the Jewish leaders in his time. After all, Jesus himself was a Jew, and the Jesus movement occurred within Judaism. We must speak truth and work against hate in all its forms. And with that, we now hear the passion of our Lord, according to John. The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of them whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter was standing outside the, at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. 
Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I had said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment the cock crowed. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was abandoned. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. 
And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has claimed to be the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, Here is your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but the emperor. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side of him, with Jesus between them, Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews and said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but... This man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among themselves, 
and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because the Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices in linen cloths, according to the burial customs of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Our theme this week has been witness, because I believe God transforms us from bystanders to witnesses at the foot of the cross. Now, if you were to look at the stained glass on the pulpit side of our sanctuary, you would eventually find a soldier holding a spear. Tradition calls this man with the spear Saint Longinus. Although you won't find that name in the Gospels, 
Tradition, however, holds that Longinus was the centurion at the foot of the cross. These traditions harmonize the gospel accounts so that the centurion who confesses Jesus as the Son of God in Mark is the same soldier who pierces Christ's side in John. Now, the historicity of this is questionable, but at least according to legend, Longinus is considered by some to be the first Christian because of his testimony at the cross. In our reading today, the soldiers are told to speed up the crucifixion process. The Sabbath is coming, and the religious leaders don't like the optics of three men being tortured to death in public on a holy day. So the soldiers are commanded to break the legs of the men to speed things up a little. This is an important reminder that spectacle was part and parcel of crucifixion. This state-sponsored violence was meant to be long. It was meant to be public. It was meant to be shaming and dehumanizing. It was meant to go on for so long that passers-by would eventually forget that it was an actual human being up there and not just some disgusting thing. So because of the Sabbath, the soldiers are told to break the legs of the men. But when they come to Jesus, they find that he is already dead. But just to be sure, one of the soldiers pierces Christ's side, perhaps to puncture the right side of his heart. And maybe this was Longinus with his spear. And when Jesus is stabbed, the text says that both water and blood come trickling out. John, the writer of the gospel, inserts an interesting parenthetical comment here. John writes, He who saw this testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. I wonder why John feels the need to emphasize this detail. Why does this testimony matter to him and to us? Our theme this week has been witness, and to witness means both to see and to testify. And here in John's gospel is a witness who is willing to go on the record. Jesus died, a spear pierced his side, and blood and water came out. That is the whole truth and nothing but the truth, according to this witness. These details seem important for a couple of reasons. First of all, John is, in his telling, emphasizes the way the soldiers are unfitting, unwittingly fulfilling scripture. They don't know they're doing it, but they're still doing it. The soldiers gamble for Christ's clothes, according to Scripture. Jesus requests a drink, according to Scripture. And even as the soldiers mutilate his body, they fulfill Scripture by not breaking any bones in his body. According to John, Jesus is the Lamb of God without a broken bone, just like the Passover Lamb of the Exodus. According to this witness, 
Everything is happening according to divine intention. The Romans think they are in control, but in reality, it is God who is pulling the strings. But another reason these details are important is that the separation of water and blood is a sign of death. I guess there is some biological truth to this, that blood can separate into clot and serum at the time of death. Some have also suggested that John is symbolically speaking of the sacraments. The blood of Christ is poured out for us in communion, like the blood pouring out from Christ's pierced side. But above all, this witness wants us to know this. Jesus actually died. The truth of Jesus' death and resurrection has been contested from the start. Some people said that Jesus' followers just hid his body after he died, and others denied his death, saying that if Jesus was God, he didn't really die. He only appeared to die. This is the ancient heresy of Gnosticism, which was just getting started at the time John's Gospel was written. For the Gnostics, it was scandalous to say that Jesus was God incarnate that he was both fully human and fully divine. They might say that if Jesus was God, then he couldn't be human, or if he was human, then he couldn't be God. And when the Gnostics spoke of the cross, of Jesus' death, they said that Christ only had an apparent body and therefore only appeared to suffer and die on the cross. For them, it was scandalous to say, we believe, in a crucified God. That is still a scandalous thing to say, and yet it is our only hope. The testimony about the piercing of Christ is John's way of saying, God incarnate truly died a human death. From the very beginning of John's gospel, he has been preaching the incarnation the Word was with God in the beginning, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Jesus is both God and human, human even to the point of death. Reality and truth are still contested. We live in a time of misinformation and fake news. One witness says one thing and the next says something different. Even basic facts of medical science and public health have been up for debate. Perhaps with Pilate we want to ask, what is truth? In the courtroom of life, we need reliable witnesses who point us to the truth. In this small moment in John's Gospel, he wants to underline this testimony. The Word of God became flesh and lived among us as a human, and died a true human death. Jesus wasn't just a spirit in a human puppet. Jesus was a flesh and blood human being who died a horrific death. This is the power of the cross for us. God goes into the depths with us. When we reach the moment of our death, we can say in confidence, God has been here too. God is here too. Jesus is with me. 
in the injustices of the world, in dehumanizing systems, in tragic deaths, all those modern-day Golgothas, God, in Jesus, chooses to meet us there, too. This testimony is true. This witness is reliable. That is what John is saying to us today. This is testimony so that you might believe in the crucified one. Amen. When Christ was crucified, his arms were outstretched to embrace all people and all of creation. Likewise, the prayers of the Church of Christ are meant to reach out to all people and all of creation. The bidding prayer on Good Friday is meant to stretch our arms wide following the example of Jesus. Each prayer will begin with an invitation, a bid. That invitation will be followed by a time of silent prayer. And I invite you to stretch your prayer to encompass all of creation. Each prayer will then be concluded 
with a prayer summing up the prayers of the church. Let us pray, brothers and sisters, for the Holy Church throughout the world. Almighty and eternal God, you have shown your glory to all nations in Jesus Christ. By your Holy Spirit, guide the Church and gather it throughout the world. Help it to persevere in faith, proclaim your name, and bring the good news of salvation in Christ to all people. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for Joy Mortensen Weedy, our bishop, for our pastor, and for all servants of the church, and for all the people of God. Almighty and eternal God, your spirit guides the church and makes it holy. Strengthen and uphold our bishops, pastors, deacons, other ministers, and lay leaders. Keep them in health and safety for the good of the church and help each of us in our various vocations to do faithfully the work to which you have called us. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for those preparing for baptism. Almighty and eternal God, you continue to bless the church. Increase the faith and understanding of those preparing for baptism. Give them new birth as your children and keep them in the faith and communion of your holy church. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for our sisters and brothers who share our faith in Jesus Christ. Almighty and eternal God, you give your church unity. Look with favor on all who follow Jesus, your Son. Make all the baptized one in the fullness of faith, and keep us united in the fellowship of love. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for the Jewish people, the first to hear the word of God.
Almighty and eternal God, long ago you gave your promise to Abraham and your teaching to Moses. Hear our prayers that the people you called and elected as your own may receive the fulfillment of the covenant promises. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for those who do not share our faith in Jesus Christ. Almighty and eternal God, gather into your embrace all who call out to you under different names. Bring an end to interreligious strife and make us more faithful witnesses of the love made known to us in your Son. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for those who do not believe in God. Almighty and eternal God, you created humanity so that all may long to know you and find peace in you. Grant that all may recognize the signs of your love and grace in the world and in the lives of Christians, and gladly acknowledge you as the one true God. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for God's creation. Almighty and eternal God, you are the creator of a magnificent universe. Hold all the worlds in the arms of your care and bring all things to fulfillment in you. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for those who serve in public office. Almighty and eternal God, you are the champion of the poor and oppressed. In your goodness, give wisdom to those in authority so that all people may enjoy justice, peace, freedom, and a share in the goodness of your creation. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for those in need.
Almighty and eternal God, you give strength to the weary and new courage to those who have lost heart. Heal the sick, comfort the dying, give safety to travelers, free those unjustly deprived of liberty, and deliver your world from falsehood, hunger, and disease. Hear the prayers of all who call on you in any trouble, that they may have the joy of receiving your help in their need. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Finally, let us pray for all those things for which our Lord would have us ask. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, 
and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We glory in your cross, O Lord. We praise your holy resurrection, for by your cross joy has come into the world. May God be merciful and bless us. May the light of God's face shine upon us. Let your way be known upon earth, your saving help among all nations. We glory in your cross, O Lord. We praise your holy resurrection, for by your cross joy has come into the world. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. May God give us blessing, and may all the ends of the earth stand in awe. We glory in your cross, O Lord. We praise your holy resurrection, for by your cross joy has come into the world. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you. By your holy cross you have redeemed the world. 